podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Sensational into the last 16. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I could have done with a better performance last night, but the outcome, I suppose, is more important than the process. Um, we were on Raw last night, so there's no point in rehashing the game. Certain people in the media want to rewrite the game and pretend that different things happen, but that is their want and desires. Uh, but we are on to Leeds. Now, Leeds are not very good, so Leeds do not warrant an hour of our very important time. So what we're going to do for the first little while, uh, inspired by you, is we're going to pick our favourite Liverpool kits from our lifetimes. Now, Initially, it was to be top five. Uh, We've both settled on a top six. And I've got a couple of goalkeeper ones as well. We're going to be joined by Guy for this. So let's go around the room and let's talk about our number six pick. So, Carl, you were the inspiration for this. So get get us started. What is the sixth best kit Liverpool have worn in your lifetime, in your view? Right, now I have to say that this one has made it in largely on account of how I loved it looking on a couple of the players that we have rather than any, let's say, notable um, outings or successes that we've earned that season. But I just, I really love black kits. I used to love Pepe Reina wearing a black kit all the time. This one's actually an outfield one from the 07-08 season. It's uh, the all-black Adidas one and it had like a red trim that goes from the neck out to the side and then back down to the other side around the Carlsberg sponsor. Uh, an all-time favourite of mine for the third kits. That kit reminds me heavily of Steven Gerrard and that season's kits remind me of three specific players. The red kit always reminds me of Dirk Kout. The white kit always reminds me of Torres. And the black kit always reminds me of Gerard, And I don't know why it's those three specific players for, for those kits. But I, I do agree. I think that was quite a good year for kits. 07-08. Um, and I think the, the away, the white away is, is nice as well. Uh, the home one's a bit plainer, as it should be. But yeah, that that is a, a very, very nice kit, that 07-08 third kit. Uh, Guy, do you want to give us your number six then? I have settled on the 1718 home kit. It was the first year we went to that dark crimson red rather than the light, basic, basically pink kits we had from New Balance in the, in the past. But 1718, it's when Mane, it just looked right. Darker red, I love that. It's when New Balance started making banger kit after banger kit. Yeah, it, it will always remind me of Coutinho because it's the last home kit he wore. Um... It is, it is a nice one. Like you said, it's a deeper shade of red as opposed to the lighter shades we'd had when there was the Warrior kits and then uh, the early New Balance kits. That is a nice one. That is a nice one. Um, the rest of the kits that year, probably a little bit forgettable. I like the white and green. Well, they had the blue it was, one. I like the it, white it, and it, green horizontal. Throwback. It was an insult to <laughs> one of the great kits. Yes, but I was about zero years old then. So that's I like the yeah. Uh, I like the third one that year, the orange one. It was the Oxley Chamberlain goals. The Ox kit, yeah, mm. it was indeed. Um, right, my sixth one. We've only seen it once. 
It is the kit we wore last night. I sent you a picture of Virgil looking resplendent in the kit. I think it is stunning in colour. I think the design is great. I think it looks really good on the players. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to go for that one, for the third kit for this season. I think it is incredible. I think this season's home kit is just okay. The keeper's ones are are decent. Uh, This season's kit's dreadfully let down by whatever that away (laughs) kit is meant to be. It looks like Trev Downey's television screen after he launched it out the window. Yeah, the away kit is a travesty, isn't it? I want to see it. I mind if we win in it, I suppose, the odd time if it's, you know, away to someone reasonably good, but I don't want to see it more than I have to. And partly that's that's because I can't look directly at it. There's no real reason we can't wear the third kit in all away games if we're we're having to change from the home, from, from the red. Because who the fuck wears... Like, if you got Barcelona, you might be able to play, but, you know, we don't play Europa League, so we won't be playing them. I can't think of any reason that we wouldn't be able to wear either the home kit or that third kit and just bin off that absolute travesty. Right, let's not get too bogged down. Carl, your number five kit, please. Okay, pretty easy for me. I've gone straight into the top five with last night's green kit. That is a top fiver for me straight away, and I suspect Ooh. could go higher if I see it a bit more often and or mm. things happen in it to uh, you know bring up good memories. I think it's a stunner. Yeah, yeah, no, I can fully get on board with it. I can. Uh, if we were to if we were to have good success in it, I think it could ramp up my uh, my list as well. Uh, Guy, give me your number five then. Last year's away kit, the off-white with the green and orangey-red. Um... The Diogo Jota kit. Yes, yes, mm. it's fantastic. I think Virgil looks fantastic in that. More, more looks spectacular in it as well. Um, yeah, I really like that kit. And I could actually play five-a-side in it because it passed off as white because you needed either white or red, and I was always on the white team. Do you know what the thing is, lads? It's very easy to tell when we have a bad kit now because we have an extraordinarily handsome group of players. Absolutely. So you can tell the goal... like If, if, it's, if it looks bad on Ali, if a goalkeeper kit looks bad on Ali, it's going to be a travesty on a normal human being. He almost the, made me pick the lilac kit, and that's, that's just him doing cheekbone work. That's exactly it. But then you look at our outfield players, Trent, Joe, Virgil, all handsome men. Robbo, ruggedly handsome. Henderson's got that rugged sort of square jaw look as well. Thiago's a handsome man. And obviously Mo is is a very handsome man, as is Ox. So if kids don't look good on the... And then obviously Darwin, uh, here to steal all your women, by the way, people of Liverpool. Um... If the kits don't look good on these players, they're going to look a travesty on a normal person. So we're very fortunate, and it's easy for us now to tell a good kit from a bad kit just by a picture of the player in it. Because remember back in the 80s, or not in the the 90s, rather, you'd see like McManaman and Fowler in a kit, and you'd be like, oh, it looks all right, and then you'd get it, and it'd be awful. And you'd be like, well, they're just normal-looking fellas, so, you know. Um, My... Number five, I'm going back, back, back to 2000-2001 and the third kit. Now, there's a couple of reasons. It's just, it brings back memories of some good performances from us in that season. Um, not, not big games, but we just we wore it quite a bit that season. I, I have memories of us wearing it quite a bit. And I like that gold and navy sort of pairing. It's the, uh, the FA Cup final, Michael Owen Goals, gold one you're about. Yes, yes, he said. It was, sorry, yeah, it was the away kit the year before. Maybe that's where I'm thinking. Yeah, so look, put it down as the 2000-2001 t- 
away kit. It became the third kit the next year, replacing that green thing that Reebok had given us. At that time, Um, we were doing that every year, weren't we? The the away kit for one year became the third kit for the next year. The third kit, yeah, Yeah. which was a really good thing. That was fine. I don't don't understand why we can't do that. Although, if we did that this year, we'd get one year of the green kit, and then we'd be on to that horrendous yoke again next season. Maybe maybe we reverse the trend, and that can be our away kit next year. I'd make it the home kit. (laughs) It's that good. I'd make it the home kit. Um... Right, Carl, your number four kit then. My number four kit. All right, this is a, a bit of a classic. It's the 1989-1990 away kit, which is the silver candy one with the sort of flex or the, the light silver arrows going through it. It is a thing of absolute beauty. We had great kits those two years, 89-90 and 90-91. We had the same kits both years, and they are a thing of absolute beauty, home, away, and the goalkeepers. And I don't know about you, Carl, but when I think of that kit, the one man I always see in it is John Barnes. Yes, exactly the same. I have a mug. Shorts splitting at the seams from those <laughs> enormous ties. Beautiful. Yeah, I have a I have a mug. I don't I no longer have this t shirt unfortunately, but I do have a mug in the same design, fashion, whatever you want, and every time I drink it, it's Barnes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh Guy your parents were probably still kids at that point, so you know you don't remember that kit at all. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, right, guy, give us your next one. So we are going to 2011-12, known for its Liverpool successful year. That one, um, worst home kit ever. We've got blue on the third kit, so nobody liked it, but the away kit, gentlemen. Black, well, very dark grey, I'd say, rather than black. Silver pinstripe, silver writing, just a bit of red on it. It's a phenomenal kit. I have that in the back. I think that may be the last one I got a player's name on the back, and I had Gerard on the back of it. It's a fantastic kit. Mm. I think this was base. That was basically the last good kit from Adidas we had, and it was fantastic. That was a particularly poor year for kits. The home and the the third kit are are fairly awful, uh, but that is a great kit. I do think that the goalkeepers home and away were nice that year as well, but that, that away kit, very, very nice. I do like that one. I have it. I'm pretty sure I have it somewhere in my room. So my number four is 95-96. It is the quadrants kit. The green, the white. I think it's because that's why, in part, I like this season's away kit so much because it's a very similar green. But that 95-96 away kit, stunning for me. And Robbie Fowler is the player that defines that kit in my mind. The home kit had that big clunky collar that I didn't like. The away kit was a little bit too busy. The goalkeeper's kits were an abomination. Whatever, somebody at Adidas was smoking copious amounts of marijuana at the time when designing the the goalkeeper's kits. But that away kit is sensational for me. The kit is this that you've picked, the green and white quarters? Yes. Yeah, 95-96. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful, um... but the rest are garbage. Oh, we're going to have an argument then. You're, you're going to pick the home kit, aren't you? Oh, this is going to be dreadful. It, it felt like a jumper when you put on that home kit. That was the big It did! Big collar looking <laughs> something your, gra- your granny had knitted you for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not picking that. That was a travesty. Um, right, we'll move on then to, Carol, your third kit. Your number three. And number three pick is actually the only home kit that I've got in it. And that is the 1617 New Balance one, which was all red and the writing and the, the very simple just live a bird logo is in gold i very much like gold on red in our kits and we only do it once in a while so this was a pretty smart one i thought yeah i really like that as well i, I liked the live bird in gold um on the warrior kits as well and i think it was a clever move and i i, I think you're right i think that um that new balance one is probably the best of them we also had quite a nice away kit that year the third kit 
I, I'm not sure what anybody was thinking. Oxic Green is a absolute cult hero. I will not hear a bad word. Oh dear. Right, give me your number three guy. I don't know why this isn't my number one, but it's the black and gold goalkeeper kit from 2019-20. Maybe it's because Allison's in it that pulls it off, but it's just a phenomenal kit. I think it was like the quickest selling out goalkeeper kit in history of football, and rightfully so, because it is fantastic. It is a nice one. It is a nice one. Um, my third kit, I believe that the 86-87 season is the best season of kits we have ever had. And I will not be dissuaded on that. And I am putting the third kit, the yellow Adidas crown paints, I think it's just beautiful. It is my number three kit of all time. I think that that year is an absolute beauty. I I would just personally have the white one over the yellow one. I think any of the three really that is a that is a special collection. It is. It is. I don't, I don't do yellow kits, gentlemen. I'm sorry. Well, you're from Middlesbrough. You, you couldn't possibly wear yellow. You're busy with your purple and lilacs, aren't you, sir? Exactly. How dare you? Um, right, Karen, give me your number two. My number two is 95-96 third kit. It's the one next to the one that you've just picked. No, it's, it's too busy, Carl. It's too it's, busy. It's an absolute beauty. I loved it. I had this one when I was a kid, obviously. And uh, I think it might have been my favourite garment of clothing of all time. It, let's be honest, it's pure 90s. It is half psychedelic, half ridiculous, and half way too much going on like you say it's the gold one with the black trim and then in the background of the main body of the shirt is over and over and over again the badge itself repeated in black and red it's a bizarre looking in thing various in sizes and shapes yeah no and directions <laughs> oh god i love this one i think i can't remember who i had on the back of this one i think i had hands and then it started to peel off and then I got it back with my name and 10 on the back instead somehow I'm not really sure how that one happened but uh, it, I, I loved it and many a goal was scored in the background is this 95, 96 sorry yes. yeah. the yellow one Yes. Oh black. God. many a goal was scored in the garden with that shirt on oh god <laughs> right guy give me your second one right this kit would have been an all timer if Alisson was at Liverpool in 13-14. It's the white pinstripe goalkeeper kit that Simon Mignolet was dreadful in, obviously. But that kit is fantastic. It is a nice kit. It is a nice kit. And you're right, it was wasted on on Simon Mignolet. If we brought that back and Alisson wore that, I think it would like just be put in the Louvre or something like that. Just magnificent. I think there'd be reports of flooding all over the world. Um, Best thing about that one is if Alan yeah. did ever wear it, it would never get dirty because he doesn't really have to dive that much. He just stands <laughs> in the right position Very and true. saves everything. <laughs> diving is not. But diving is for goalkeeping paupers. Mid- mid-tables. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do you expect Ali to dive? <laughs> um, my second one, Carl picked the away one in this year. I would lean to the home kit. It's the 89-90-90-91 red candy with the kind of flex through it. Um, again, it's it's the epitome of John Burns. So, yeah, that would be the one for me. It's a classic. It's, it, it literally is the home one of the away one, isn't it? <laughs> very, very similar. Yeah, design. literally, yeah. Yeah, and even the goalkeeper kit was pretty much the same, wasn't it? The green with the white flex going in it. It was direction. gorgeous as well. The Grobbelar kit. Yeah, yeah, they, they literally looked like Bruce might have designed it himself. <laughs> yes. Um, absolutely brilliant kits. Right, the moment everybody's been waiting for. Carl Matchett, <laughs> your number one all-time Liverpool kit. My number one is the 2018-19 New Balance away kit. Absolutely love a purple kit, and I've waited a long time for Liverpool to have one. 
and it's probably not the greatest one, but I love the memories of it. I love the look of it. I had it. I think actually that one I've got. I think Ox signed that one for me actually at one point. Um, and I love purple. I love the purple kits, the Orlando ones, the Fiorentina ones. So for Liverpool to finally have one and a little bit of orange, I think looks really nice on it as well. I love this one. This is my favourite. You should have picked the dragon kit from like 12, 13. <laughs> that, that, was, that was not quite purple enough. <laughs> so initially when I saw that kit, when it was released that year, I hated it. And then I saw it in person and I really liked it. Like you, I grew up on 90s Italian football and Fiorentina, so I've always had a a soft spot for, you know, a purple kit. Um, It is, it's very un-Liverpool in many ways, but it is a very nice kit. I think think it's only fair to say it is a very nice kit. And it was needed that year because the home is quite plain. The away is sort of an homage to the 89-90, not nearly as nice, but, you know. And the goalkeepers' kits that year just look like Fruit pastels, yellow, green, and pink. Um, that that away kit is very, very nice. I think that's a strong choice. Mister Drinkle, your number one. I have picked the O six O seven home kit. Floppy, the floppy collar is what just sets it off for me. I love that. It's the Torres kit. Everyone will know what I say when I say the Torres kit. Sweaty signed, floppy mm. collar. I think Gerard looked good in it as well. Yeah, we we had that kit two years in a row. We had yes. a 06, 07, 07, 08. Um, it is it is a solid kit for certain. Um, we've obviously looked at the the third kit that year as well in in 07, 08. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good choice, Carl. Would you have been a fan of the? Oh seven oh eight. I I don't mind that entire year. I think the um the third kit that year, the white with the sort of green or whatever color it is down the side, that was the Bellamy Barcelona one, wasn't it? Barcelona, Barcelona, Barcelona Parisi, yeah. yeah. I like that kit. Yeah, I don't mind that one as well. I think that whole year is pretty across the board, quite good actually. I'm not usually a fan of collars of any description other than, you know, just the round collars, but that one was all right. I, I remember scoring. I had the orange goalkeeper top that year as well. Of course you did, mate. Of course you did. I did. It had it had um it had padding on the shoulders. So when <laughs> I was in my primary school, I was in my primary school goalkeeper team. I was pulling off all the saves. There you go. Yeah. How about the? That? I remember the ninety five ninety six goalkeepers kits. They had padding in the shoulders and the elbows yeah. as well. Big diamond ones um, on the elbows. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were quite strange to wear. Um, I guess that just leaves my number one, and, and you've actually already called this one, Carl. I am going back to the well. Oh, my God. So for anyone that's in our Discord chat, Hefty Horse has just put in uh, a picture of... I don't even know what he's wearing. Um, It's... It's Jorge Campos, isn't it? The Mexican keeper. Yeah. And he is wearing what what would probably now be the type of thing you'd see like rappers wear to the beach or something, and it would be designed by Gucci or somebody like that. It is an absolute atrocity. It looks like a game... For those that are old enough to remember the Nokia 3210, it looks like multiple games of Snake... Are taking place on a beach towel. That is, and what the, the best part is, the socks are quite plain. Yeah. It's like it's, it's a bit like he's wearing a tent that doesn't quite fit him, like a circus top tent. Are you that person who has everything, the coolest merch, and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. 
we have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. From memory, oh my goodness, just another one. Uh, from memory, he designed these himself. He did at least a couple. He was behind. Yeah, these are these are. Guessing shot. he didn't get a job at Nikeland. No, no, I'm <laughs> guessing that uh, once these once his playing days were over, that was it, Fred. They wore a couple of uh, intriguing ones along the way as well, didn't they? But I don't think he designed them. I like that the sleeves are flared sleeves and stop at about three quarters down the arm. They look like more short. On, on a goalkeeper of normal um, of normal size, they're probably short sleeve shirts, but the shorts are just dreadful. What on earth was Eddie? Who allowed him to do this? But then I suppose his club side allowed him to play as a striker, so, yeah. you know, there is that. Anyway, <laughs> That has completely thrown me. Uh, My number one kit is 86-87. It is the away white kit. That whole year is perfect. The home and third had been the home and away the previous season. That away kit was introduced, and I just think it is absolute minimalistic perfection with the... The old Adidas logo, which was absolutely perfect. Very simple liver bird. Crown paints. Magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. So Is yeah. Adidas everyone's favourite manufacturer? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, same. See, this is why I, I would have wanted us to go back to Adidas when we went to Nike. Because see, they would have done... Kits. That's the thing. Look at, like, Arsenal have had one season with Adidas, the kits were a little bit a little bit questionable, but for most of the time, was this is this year four now they've been back with them? I think so. And I think it's the third absolutely smashing kit that they've had. Adidas, for me, just in terms of the classic old school kits and in terms of what they've been doing recently, which is largely a throwback to those classic old kits. Adidas have just been absolutely smashing it. So eighteen nineteen, Arsenal were still with Puma. Um, my belief is that Puma should be banned from all football because their kits are crap. They should only make Italy kits. That's the only thing they should be allowed to make. Like the nineteen twenty Arsenal kit is is very nice. Then you have the. 2021 kit, which is pretty good. Is it? Or is it the dodgy one? Maybe it's the dodgy one. Let me get a closer look. Yeah, no, the 2021 is the dodgy one. Uh, 21-22 is a triumph. And then this year's kit is nice as well. And what's cool is they've also done all the retro stuff, which has been such a success for them. Um... Yeah, Adidas by a distance. Carl, would you have a preference on who would make your kits if you were starting your own football team? I really actually like the home Puma kits where they make them like completely minimalistic. They've done them a couple of years, but not all the time. But there was like a Dortmund and a Milan one, and they're like just maybe the away one of the Milan is just plain white with the Puma in red and the sponsor in red and the badge, and that's it. So I don't mind them when they do them like that. But the last couple of years when they've done these third kits with like the team name written across the front and that, that is oh, absolutely travesty. Those are rubbish. I don't want that. There's just, it's such lazy design, though. It's just a way of getting out of having to design the third kit. Like Man City's one just looks like a training top or a T-shirt or something. It doesn't look like a, a football jersey. Pajamas for kids. Exactly. Right. Um... I've got a couple of goalkeeper ones written down here that I did like. Um, So the first one, or I suppose the best one, is that Bruce Grobelar 90-91. That's in my view. 
Um, I've also marked down the 98-99 goalkeeper away kit, which I thought was quite nice. And then I've got the 03-04, again, the away one, not the home one. Kind of orange with the the royal blue sleeves and sides. Um, but yeah. So just to recap, Guy, your number one Liverpool kit is the floppy collar. Yep. 06, 07, 07, 08 home kit. Carl, your number one is the 2018, 2019 away kit, the violet. Beautiful purple. And mine is the 06, 07 away, a stunning white number. Uh, and that is the content you came here for. <laughs> so now we have to talk about Leeds, and we have about 20 minutes. So, um, Carl, we take on Leeds in the Premier League this weekend. They have won two games all season. They have lost their last four games. They have lost six of their last eight with two draws. They have not won since the 21st of August. and uh, Well, sorry, the 24th of August, because they did beat Barnsley in the League Cup. But in the Premier League, they haven't won since the 21st of August. Pressure seems to be mounting on Jesse Marsh. The fans seem to be getting a little bit riled up. But in his defence, I don't think the results match the performances. I think the performances have been pretty decent on most weeks. Obviously, they stank the place up against Brentford. But I think there's been some good performances there where they were a little bit unlucky not to take something from the game. The the Arsenal game, for example, I think they absolutely deserved a share of the points there. I thought the Palace game, they deserved something. And I thought the most recent game against Fulham, they deserved something from the game. Um, Leicester, I would say, was a disappointing performance and result as well. But by and large, I think they've been better than their points tally would suggest. Yeah, I agree completely. I think um, a couple of the the recent defeats that they've had, they should have won, not just got a result, to be perfectly honest. Uh, The game against Crystal Palace completely could have gone either way. I think they were a better team for most of the first half. Palace were better for the second half. The Leicester one, I didn't actually see that game, but um, again against Arsenal, then in between those two fixtures, I thought for large spells of that game, they were good. They created loads of good chances. They did not have a clinical edge in the slightest. Um, it was still at the time when Bamford was coming back and trying to obviously get full sharpness and fitness. Uh, I think he missed a penalty in that game as well, didn't he? Um, there were loads of opportunities for, for Leeds to at least take a point from that game. Now, Arsenal really, really had to work hard and get very fortunate at least, I would say, two, three times to take the win from that match. And that's a big thing when you're at the top end, obviously you have to you know, struggle and suffer and all the rest of it and take the wins. But at the bottom end, it counts kind of more uh, if, if two or three of these games in a row happen to you. The Fulham game at the weekend, I've not seen the whole thing. Um, I saw parts of the first half and it, it looked pretty even for a while, but obviously second half Fulham have run away with it. So I will watch that back before the before we play at the weekend and see exactly what happened there in the second half. But like you say, these are a lot of these games have been very, very close and it's only a goal in it either way. And they've not managed to get the points, which is a big problem in one respect, but also does show that if they can make a couple of little alterations and get things to click in certain areas, they're probably not that far away from taking six points instead of zero. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And the, the, I suppose the fortunate thing for them is that the table is so tight right now, it is very easy to get yourself out of the bottom three with a couple of good results. We've seen Leicester this past weekend. Before they kicked off, they were bottom. After they won, they were out of the relegation zone. We've seen West Ham 17th before kickoff, 10th after they won. So there's only five points between them and West Ham in 10th, there's only seven points between them and us in eighth. The table is very, very condensed right now. And I would say there's probably seven, eight, maybe even nine teams 
who could potentially find themselves deep in the relegation mire come September. Not because they're bad teams, but because I think a lot of the league is very, very similar. I think there's a lot of parity among the bottom eight to nine teams in the league. I don't think there's any one standout their garbage team. Bournemouth would probably be the number one contender for that. But under Gary O'Neill, they have obviously been better. I just, I think there's, I, I think it's, I don't know whether the league is strong or the league is weak and everybody's weak, but you know what I mean? I think parity is just there. There's so much inconsistency everywhere as well that obviously three defeats in a row or something like that and you do drop from, let's say, 10th, 11th down into just outside the relegation zone or at the opposite end of the pitch, we saw, or the opposite end of the scale, we saw ourselves win two and go from, what, 13th, 14th up to able to go into the top six if we won our game in hand. So it, it's it's still very early and still very condensed, like you say. Um, we have to make sure, obviously, from Liverpool's perspective, we start to find that consistency now in our game and try to finally string together three wins in a row starting from now. But... They are not a billion miles away. I don't think that there's going to be too many teams get cut adrift just at the minute. And I, I still expect that Leeds will, over the course of the season, have enough to stay up. I think they're a good footballing side. They're very, very aggressive, really fast playing through the thirds. Uh, the movement is, at times, really good up front. And the interlinking play that they have with Aronson, Rodrigo, Bamford, when he's come back a couple of times, uh, and Sinistera, really, really good. Yeah, I think Bamford is going to be vital because without him, there just isn't a regular goal threat in the team. Rodrigo's had a, a decent start to the year and he's got five goals. But would you be at all surprised if he didn't score for the rest of the season? You know, you're looking at a, a fella who, over his career outside of Portugal has only ever had two seasons of double figures and only one season of double figures in the league. In fact, in his entire career, including Portugal, he's only had two seasons of hitting double figures in the league, uh, one for Benfica, one for Valencia. Other than that, he's largely in that sort of four to seven kind of range. Um, Sinistera, I think, will be a player who'll score a lot of goals for them over time but he's still feeling his way into the Premier League and obviously had one of the more ridiculous sendings off anyone's going to have all season. He was part of what I thought was a really nice transfer window. I think Aronson, Christensen, Roja, Adams, Sinistera and Nanto was a really clever window by Leeds. I did think they left themselves a little bit short in terms of a backup slash competition for Bamford, but they did try and get that player in. Cody Gakpo was one they tried very hard to get. And I believe they thought at one point they had that deal done. And I think they left themselves short at centre-back. I like Lorente. I like Robin Cock. I don't know that together they're the ideal pairing because they're both very similar in how they play. They're both obviously injury-prone as well. I thought buying one centre-back who could then have those two almost in rotation next to them was the move. They've got good options at left-back in Firpo when he's on form. And Struyak, who I think has played well this year. And then Christensen's been really good at right-back. I think if they could get that centre-back and get someone for depth in attack in the January window... I think they'd be absolutely fine because, I, like you, I don't think they're a million miles away. Yeah, I've been surprised that they've been playing uh, strike left-back all season long, really, but he's done pretty well there. He's, he's been all right. Um, Christensen, I think, is very, very solid, to be honest. He's basically a 7 out of 10 pretty much every week. Decent going forward in support play, fine on the ball, very strong in the challenge. Um, and I really like the Rocker Tyler Adams double pivot as well. I think that's oh, it's really good. Yeah, that is basically gives them everything you want. Rocker decent in terms of ball winning, very good short range passing and switches of play. Tyler Adams with all the energy to get all over the pitch. I love him. I think he's a great mm. player. I think I said this in the summer, so this is not hindsight. 
Neither of them are as good individually as Calvin Phillips, but I think that pairing is an upgrade on Calvin Phillips and anybody else that they had last season. So while they did lose their best midfielder and they didn't replace him directly with a a comparative player, I do think in the aggregate they upgraded their midfield. And I think those two, with Aronson buzzing around in front of them, has been a really nice triangle. Um, They've had some chopping and changing in the wide roles, but they have decent enough options out there in the likes of Harrison and Aronson has played a couple of games there. Somerville has been playing there recently. Uh, he He's definitely a talent. Um, Nanto, I think when, when he starts getting more games, I think he'll play in the wide areas as well. And obviously Sinistera being kind of the, the star name in, in those wide positions. The one... The one big doubt I have about them, Carl, and it's largely because he's very, very young for a goalkeeper, and I think he makes a lot of young goalkeeper mistakes. I'm just not overly sold that Melier is that Melier should still be first choice. I, I think they could have looked at maybe a short-term loan option, maybe like Dean Henderson when he was available, bringing him in for a year. I'm just not overly sold on Melia. I think there's talent there. I just think he's still a couple of years away from where I'd be comfortable putting him in my team. Yeah, I agree. I don't I don't actually really like Melia that much at all. He's a good shot stopper and usually around his between the sort of six-yard box and penalty, penalty spot, he's all right aerially. But overall, I... He's, he's not the kind of goalkeeper who I prefer to see, and certainly not in a team like this where they do tend to play quite high risk, quite high upfield. The centre-backs are obviously kind of rotating quite a lot because of injuries in previous seasons as well. Um, he's not quite as solid as I would usually like to see. Yeah, and it's not like they have... I mean, their other main goalkeeper is the young Norwegian Christopher Klaassen, who's even younger than Melier. Now, they did, in fairness to them, I said before the summer they need to get an experienced third-choice keeper in. And they did bring in Joel Robles, former Everton legend, who'd had you know some decent times at Real Betis after going there before losing his place. Um, so they did address that kind of need, but I do just wonder if, if maybe that's what they should have done, is gone and got someone more experienced who could start straight away Robles is still only 32, so it's not like he's way over the hill. He's just not a great goalkeeper, and I don't know that he'd necessarily be an upgrade on Melier. I don't think he's that good, to be honest. So I don't think that there's much point in even bringing him or, or anyone else in unless it's like a you know a proper confidence issue for Melier. He's going through a bad patch or something like that. Obviously, if there's an injury, you've got no choice. But I think at this stage, they've backed him so much that you've got to just go with him and let him develop and make the mistakes that you just accept that he's going to make at this point. It's no point taking him out for mm. you know three or four games here or there just to play a 32-year-old who's got no future with you anyway. Uh, unless, like I say, it is a really, really bad moment for Melia who just cannot perform for that period of time. But I don't think he's at that, at that stage at all. He's he's fairly level-headed looking player. I just don't see yeah. that good. Uh, that's the thing. I, like, I think he does let mistakes slide off and I don't think he carries them. But like like you said, the shot stopping's pretty good. The decision making is poor, and he's he's quite weak aerially. Like he doesn't like to come into crowds of players to try and get to the ball, and when he does, he tends to slap at things, and that kind of stuff just bothers me. He's not the best with his feet either, so um, I think there's potential there, but I just don't know that he's ready. Like it, it is. There's a lot of talent in the squad, and. I think we're both fans. I know you're a, actually, I know we're both fans of the manager because I like him and I think you're a big fan of Jesse Marsh. So have you been in any way surprised by Jesse Marsh's approach at Leeds this season or has he been what you expected him to be? Pretty much. I think the, it's pretty aggressive. It's very, very much 
start the match on the front foot and be as much in the face of the opposition as possible. Like I say, the interplay between the middle and final third, I think, is excellent at times. Like up there with anybody that you wanted in the league outside of Man City, probably. Um, you look at some of the Arsenal match, for example, they were had better interplay between the, the double pivot and the three ahead of them than Arsenal did for quite a long period of that match. Sometimes, though, in the final third, maybe you're looking at Rodrigo dropping out and then there's nobody there at centre-forward or Bamford was coming back and he wasn't fully fit at the time. And obviously Arsenal have players who are consistently at that level, whereas Leeds still are playing a few players who can reach that level, but maybe not across an entire match or not maybe not for three weeks in a row. And that's the big difference, obviously. But in terms of the setup, in terms of how he's asking certain players to play, like Aronson is obviously a very, very important piece from a tactical perspective for them on and off the ball. Um, this is pretty much exactly as I expect them to set up. That the, the midfield arrangement in particular is quite peak um, Jesse Marsh, I suppose, in terms of the two and then two slightly wider, but not wide as such. He doesn't play with the wingers. Um, they are quite tucked in and they're able to interchange with the, with the entirety of the front three, if you like it that way. So pretty much what we expected. And Sinistero, I think, is the one who will probably help them lift up quite a bit. Like Rodrigo, I agree with you. You can't rely on him across the course of an entire season to you know, produce the numbers that he has been. But if they do get Bamford back to full fitness and he starts to play a bit more, it probably releases uh, Sinistero to have much more of an impact over the second half of the season as well. Yeah, and he has used Jack Harrison on the right a couple of times recently which maybe hints that he's going to open up that left-sided role for Sinistera once he's 100%. And that is the position that he played at Feyenoord and was, was exceptional for them last season. So um, definitely seems to be figuring things out. It's still so early in the season, and I, I've seen a few Leeds fans question him and that. like, Look, it's a very difficult situation for him at Leeds because he of who he, who he replaced. Marcelo Bielsa is a legendary coach and did legendary things at Leeds. And the people of Leeds adored him because he didn't just go into their football club and take them from the mid-table in the championship into the Premier League and then keep them there. He also embraced life in Yorkshire, got very involved in his little local community, made friends, had people that he would go and see and just, you know, made himself one of them as as much as he could with the language barrier. And Bielsa was, I think, done a little bit dirty by Leeds because I think Victor Orta, the director of football, let him down badly with the some of the transfer business by buying far too many young players that weren't, capable of playing Bielsa's style of football straight away, leaving him short of a Bamford backup and what and, and you know at centre back and whatever else with the injury issues they had. And going behind Bielsa's back and basically having Jesse Marsh lined up to come in before Bielsa was even aware that his job was under threat. So I think there's some Leeds fans that are a little bit bitter about that and have held that against Marsh. And it's not Marsh's fault. He was a manager out of work who was offered a good job at a big club. So, of course, he was going to consider it. Um, I just think they need to be more patient with him. I think his style of football can take a little bit of time to get players used to, um, which I think was the problem at Leipzig as well. Is he? Just, I just don't think he was given enough time. And if we see what Leipzig have done since, has anyone been all that impressed? I know they did okay last season after replacing him, but that manager's been sacked since. So I think Marsh is a good coach who just needs a bit of time. Yeah, definitely. It's not like they like I said, getting cut adrift at the bottom or anything like that. They've dropped it into the bottom three, but the level on points with all the teams in the bottom three and one win takes mm. you, you know, back up to 15th or so and only for Villa obviously bouncing back against Brentford after getting rid of Gerrard that's taken them off the same number of points this this whole start to the season well this whole season in fact is going to be two isn't it let's be honest if you're anywhere in the mix at the bottom you know you've still got a three week mid pre-season to, to rectify 
tactics yeah. and to bring in a new player or to get people back from injury or whatever it is. There's, there's a long way to go yet. And Jesse Marsh, what he has over quite a few of the other teams at the bottom, he's a really good coach. He's a very, very good coach. And I completely believe that over the longer term, that will translate into more victories than the other teams around them anyway. Yeah, and the the thing he can look at as well is he doesn't have a vast number of players who are going to the World Cup. Like, I would say Christensen will go with Denmark. Adams, Aronson, they'll go with the United States. Is anyone else in their squad going to the World Cup? I don't think so. I don't see any of the English lads getting called up. I don't see their, their Spanish players. Maybe Lorente gets called up if there's some injury issues. But, but it's not going to be. But. Aronson, obviously, Adams. Uh, O2s. There's more to the point of whether they uh, go to the World Cup or not. I don't think any of the squad's going to be there all that long. Exactly, but my my point is just he can obviously give them a couple of weeks off to go and get themselves, you know, refreshed, get them back and have more or less a month to work with the majority of the squad. And the lads that will be away at the World Cup, Christensen, Aronson and Adams, he doesn't really need to work with them a whole lot because, well, number one, Aronson and Adams already know the system inside out as does Christensen having played under him at Salzburg. So those lads know what he what he wants from them. It's the rest that he needs to keep working with, and he'll have them all. So I could see them coming back out of the World Cup and performing quite well, picking up a bunch of points, because I think they'll be really, really ready to go. Um, speaking of being ready to go, though, Liverpool need to be ready to go on Saturday, we cannot afford any more slip-ups in the league. Our form has been atrocious. We have lost as many games already this season as we did in the entirety of last season's 63-game season. <coughs> in fact, I think we've lost... No, it is. We've lost the same amount, four games. Um, we've lost three in the Premier League. We've drawn four with only four wins. That's not acceptable. It's not like we've had the toughest of runs either. We've had a lot of winnable games where we've dropped points. Fulham, Palace at home, United are not good. Everton, we shouldn't be drawing there. But you can accept a draw in the derby. Brighton at home, we should have won. Arsenal, we should be beating. And Forest, I'm sorry. It's a disgrace that we lost to them. We need to be ready to go. We need, I believe, minimum seven points from the next three games, which is Leeds home, Spurs away, Southampton home. You can guess which game I'd take the point in. But the two home games, Carl, have to be victories, especially considering we don't seem to know how to win away in the league at the moment. (laughs) Yes, that's a a bit of a concern, to be fair. Look, I think at this point, home games have to be won every single time. It basically has to get back to what it was a few years ago when we knew we were going to be taking three points. Obviously, it's not quite the same now in terms of the, the mentality and the mindset, but we can't really afford to go into any home match at this point in time and not win. I mean, strike the Napoli game because it doesn't matter anymore, but even the Derby one, you're at home. It's the cup you want to go through. You want to play the the people who come back to full fitness and all the rest of it. Southampton and Leicester are the ones either side of the... Um, the World Cup break. So again, you want to be winning all of those. And then it's a very, very hard run. But if you if you go into those on the back of you know, at least five home wins or something like that, you'll have the confidence, you'll have the understanding on home soil, we'll have post-World Cup and whatever that brings with us in terms of fitness and new faces and everything else. It's Chelsea, Everton, Man United in a row uh, for our home games in the new year. So we have to be winning all of them, is what I'm trying to say here. We, we do not have any room for slip-ups if even the top four is still obviously the the overriding ambition at the minute and there's no excuse for not winning these kinds of games there's no excuse for not winning away to Nottingham Forest the performance levels have to improve the energy levels have to improve we also have to find a bit more clarity on exactly how we're approaching game to game I think in terms of that midfield shape Agreed now it may be that 
following his withdrawal through injury late in yesterday's game, that Jordan Henderson's not ready for this one. I uh, did take a bit of a bang to the side of the knee, and that can be quite painful and can leave you quite stiff for a few days. So he might not play. Um, given that Thiago is out with an ear infection, I would be very hopeful that he will be back for the weekend, having already missed two games due to this affliction. So my hope is that he's back. I think Harvey getting a goal last night will be good for his confidence. That's his obviously second Champions League goal. Funnily enough, both on his right foot, despite the fact that it is basically just there for standing on. Um, So in midfield, I would suggest that perhaps Harvey, Fabinho, Thiago, and I wanted to see this last night before realising after we finished recording that he wasn't in the Champions League squad. I want to see Ox start left wing. Yeah, I mean, same as we were really with Ox. It depends on how fit he is, doesn't it? How much we can get out of him, how many minutes they're comfortable playing him in a row. Um, Like I said before, if you can start someone because you know they can get 45 minutes, you've still got... A, you haven't got to take up the, the substitution moment with them because you take take them off at the break anyway in a prearranged move. You haven't really got to worry too much about the lack of tactical alterations later on because you've still got plenty of subs on the bench. Uh, and obviously the, the match situation itself can still be dictated in the second half there in terms of the results. So I think if we can get 45 and if he's ready and if he's you know showing decent form in training or whatever or a decent touch in training rather than form, I suppose, then yeah, I don't have a problem with starting him. Um, I would be surprised still if he started this game. I, I would imagine we'll still get to see him and I brought on a sub another time or two and then maybe look at that Derby League Cup match as the as the first start for him. But it totally depends on who else is left being fit because you can't just play um, Fabinho and Thiago, obviously, game after game at the minute if Henderson is going to be sidelined. No. Milner is probably therefore going to come in and start at least one of the games in midfield. Maybe Curtis Jones comes back in and starts in the double pivot again. And obviously he's the alternative to play on the left as well. Uh, maybe the other half with Ox. You've no idea how much that sentence just upset. But it needs must at the minute, isn't it? Like we, we... It is needs must. <laughs> I, I I, I you are 100% correct. It's just, it's October and these are our midfield options. Run the two good players into the ground. Or play James Milner or Curtis Jones in a double pivot again. We meet um, alongside each other yet, so. Oh Lord, God, if if ever that is the midfield, that's the midfield for for Derby in the cup. Like that is a that is a a cup midfield if ever there was one. Um, I do wonder if he would consider giving Basetic a start in the league now. Obviously, not for Spurs. Maybe this one. And maybe not even for Southampton. This might be the one if he was going to do I assume it. he's going to be starting against Napoli. He's had a, a few yes. appearances and he's obviously got given a few bigger minutes at moments when we've been able to. So he must be pretty close. So you'd assume he would start against Napoli. And if so, you probably want him to get a reasonable run of minutes in this game as well. So whether that means a start or maybe he comes on early second half sort of thing. I'm not sure. Not sure yet how much we actually think he's very, very good or how much he's just constantly there because we're so short of centimids. I think it's probably a little from column A, but mostly from column B. I, I think if we were whole in midfield, I don't think he'd be playing. I think if we'd done what we needed to do in the summer, I think he'd be playing a lot less. Harvey'd be playing a lot less. But it is what it is for now. Um... Up front, I want to see Darwin and Mo as a two, and a proper two, not the, not the split striker thing where Darwin's also having to pl- play as a left back because there's no work from the right uh, the left sided midfielder. I want to see Darwin and Mo through the middle because if ever there was a team that has the ability and propensity to open up and just invite teams to run through the middle of them, it is Leeds United. Uh, so I want to see Darwin and Mo as a two. I think this is a good game to rest Bobby because I think he will start against Napoli as well. I think he'll also start against Spurs. So I would say give Bobby this one off. Um, 
But what would you do up front with the front two? I would go with those two as well. I think um, they've been quite clearly managing Darwin a little bit carefully with the knock that he had. He's come off, you know, around the hour mark a couple of games in a row uh, and missed one of them as well. So it makes sense to start him if he's able and, again, build the partnership a little bit more because if we're going to carry on playing two up front, we need mm. to do that, whether it's the split forwards in future games or whether it's playing in the two with the four across. Um, you still need to build up the partnerships and get them playing in a, a slightly more together way with one dropping in each time. So I would like to see that continue. As I said, I want to see Salah in the two up front as often as possible. So again, last night was a good example where we didn't really play very well, but you got both the goal scoring and the playmaking ability of Salah made a big difference in terms of the result. We didn't play very well. We didn't give him loads of stuff and he still scored and assisted. Um, what did you suggest for the midfield just as a starting midfield again? I think as long as Thiago's back, it'd be Thiago, Fabinho, and then Elliot and Jones, I think. Elliot and Jones, yeah. I mean, it can't be it can't be Elliot Carvalho. I think I think we're in agreement. Those two just shouldn't play together in the wide midfield roles. Harvey in a wide role, and maybe Carvalho is one of the front two. I could I could see. Um, but not not the wide roles. I would rather start Ox and bring Curtis on. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's that's neither here nor there. In, in defence, there might be one question to answer in that Ibu looks like he's ready for some minutes. Um, would you stick with Joe Gomez at centre back, or would you bring Ibu in next version? That's a tricky one, to be fair, because I think Gomez was much better last night. Uh, I think he stuck pretty well with the with the movement that he had. Mostly the recoveries were good. There was one instance, I think it was quite near the start of the game, where he nearly did the exact same thing as he did uh, with the you know the wrestling, where the ball got away from him and he nearly just stopped going for the ball or defending and just wrestled the player away, same as he did against Forrest. Uh, thankfully, he didn't do that in the end and he did recover properly and, and defended it. And I think, by and large, he was decent. And the only way you're going to get Gomez back to playing how he was is by him playing consistently. But I would still play Canate for this one. I think Canate is going to be needed to play quite a few of them uh, over the next you know, coming weeks. Yeah. And if he's not going to be able to play every single one, maybe he comes in for one at the minute and then plays another one. I think you look at that Tottenham game and what do you want for that? I want Canate to play that one, to be perfectly honest. So I think I would probably start yeah. in Leeds not starting against Napoli and starting against Spurs. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. I think that's a good shout. Um, it would be nice to get Joel back. And hopefully he'll be back in the next couple of weeks because we, we could do it having the four of them just in this little tight period of, of games. Um, yeah, so Ali, Trent, Ibu, if he's fit, if not, Joe, Verge, and Robbo or Costas for this one? Robbo's starting to look a little bit more like himself. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're. I think we're in agreement. Uh, just the left wing position. I, I'd like to see Ox. You'd like to see Curtis. So, um, yeah, there we go. Uh, prediction. We can no longer stick to our three ones and five twos. I, I think that this might be one of the weirdest, most open games uh, in the Premier League, certainly this weekend and maybe for much of the season, because both of these teams have a habit of being very good in transition play and hacking in numbers, but also leaving massive gaps at times through the centre. So it could be a bit crazy. Mm. I'm going to go for a little win. I'll go. I think I'll go 3 2 to Liverpool. And I will go 4 2 to Liverpool. I think that defence is there to be had if we get the right supply into the two front players who I think will will both get a couple of goals. Uh, so we'll leave it there. Anything you want to plug before we go? Anything new coming out on the independent? Um, lots, but none of it mine. Go and have a read anyway. This man is, em- is employed to write about football and doesn't have anything <laughs> coming out. So make it that what you will, folks. Uh, we'll be back next week for... Napoli and Spurs. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel 
so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.